ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to the show on this Tuesday, November 14th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3. We're live on Facebook and YouTube early today. As always, on Tuesday, we're going live due to the press conference over at football, ECU Navy this week. We'll preview that throughout the week to come. But today, we're talking some pirate baseball. We've got our regular big-time guest, Coach, we were joking before the show, Cliff Godwin is in studio. I think you're the, you're the most regular uh, big-time guest over at campus, so we appreciate it. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Um, I, I come over here pretty much every time you ask. So. Exactly, man. <laughs> and it's always like – usually, you know, I have to schedule these things out way in advance. You're just like, hey, man, next next Tuesday, let's do it. Well, and, I try to help you out. You guys are so good to me, so I want to come over here and uh, help you guys anytime I can. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. Well, fall ball just wrapping up, and I, I actually – this was – I try to get out there as much as possible. I usually do, but you know, football was a, has been a struggle this year. So I tried to give our, our fans some baseball content and uh, enjoyed watching kind of the team develop throughout the fall. Just early on, kind of what were your thoughts on, on the team and, and kind of how much you guys grew in the fall? Well, I think we grew a lot in the fall for sure. Uh, much better product at the end of the fall than the beginning, which is what you're looking for. Um, we're able to get some young guys out there in a lot of key situations. So that's a great experience for those guys, especially playing two really good quality opponents with Clemson and UVA. So, uh, But definitely got better from the time we started to the time we ended. Going into year 10, it still doesn't feel real uh, that, that it's been 10 years, Coach. I mean, where's the time <laughs> gone? It's flown by, I can tell you that. And as you get older, you know, when – I was younger, you know, you hear older people go, man, hey, the years run together, and it just seems like it's flying by, and I can tell you it feels like it's flying by. It does not feel like I've been here for 10 years. It's crazy, man. It seems like just yesterday we were previewing your first regional down at Miami, and I, <laughs> I still remember that show. I think we did it, I don't know, Mellow Mushroom or something, and I don't know. It, but it all runs together. I can't even keep track of it, so I don't know if you do, but it's, it's just – how much the program has grown since then. I want to talk about that before we get into some, kind of the specifics of the fall. And just, you know, from year one to year 10, you've obviously grown a lot, I'm sure, in, ter- in terms of things you guys have done off the field, on the field. But it's always about culture with ECU baseball. You played here. You played under Coach LeClaire. And that means a ton to everybody that follows the program. But I want to specifically get into – this time of year, fall, how important is this time of year to kind of establish what you guys want to be every year? Uh, it's huge. I mean, I think when you have a, a big group coming in that are new guys like we do this year to really get them implemented into the foundation of our culture. And then also they got to get better at baseball as well. So they're really getting flooded with a ton of information and um, there's failure and how they handle failure. Um, I think this day and age uh, it's tougher for kids to handle failure just because that's not how they're raised it's not the world that they live in um and we work hard i mean there's we don't run from that that's who we are we believe in working hard in the classroom we believe working hard in the weight room on the field and it's very consistent so i think the consistency of it is tough for for young guys too so but a lot of young guys have grown um and learned how to handle some adversity a lot better and the older guys have have done a tremendous job with this new group and that's been fun to watch because I would say to this point, the older guys have done as good a job as any group we've had with the group that's come in. 
And your you, your programs are always very player led, and you kind of entrust those guys with those roles. So, what goes into that in terms of being able to trust your players? And you, you as a staff, y'all set the tone, but really count on those guys to to spread the message to the younger guys. Well, it's uh, it's uncomfortable as a coach, and you said how have I grown in ten years? I mean, I was much more, uh, you know, in the in the mix of what I wanted them to do 10 years ago than I am now. Not that I'm not meeting with the leadership group, but the leadership group really controls uh, the younger guys. And if we need something to happen, if something's not going well, those guys do a really good job of, of implementing that. And then just getting those guys to be consistent as well, which they do a good job of it. But as we're human beings, we're not perfect. So sometimes we fall short and uh, just bring them in having conversations. But I would say it's more individual conversations with that leadership group than it is with the entire team because they get the message to the entire team better than I can deliver it because they're their peers. Cliff Goblin is with us, ECU baseball coach, and we talked about it uh, before the show. Mission week coming up. You said it starts Sunday. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with the, the Pirate Baseball program, we talk to the players, and they say it's it's quite the week. So what goes into this week, and why is it so important to this program? Well, you know, it goes back to, and you know, we were talking about it off the air, but, you know, Coach LeClaire's second year in the fall of 98 was the first time that he had uh, put in an obstacle course, and he called it the Omaha Challenge. And it was just one day, but it was – it was hell. I mean, there was a real barbed wire in the wow. obstacle course, so obviously you get fired for that today. Right. Um, but I tell people all the time it was where the parking lot is in front of the town bank tower. That was the old practice soccer field, and there was a little low area. Um, now, mind you, people tailgated in that area at the same, so there's like chicken bones and everything else on that practice soccer field. But and they kind of dug out a little hole, and there was some mud and water in there, but it was real barbed wire. So there was a lot of things that went into it. But, you know, there's a picture from that group, and Coach LeClaire talked about it in his book. But really that was a moment where a group of guys believed that they really worked a lot harder than anybody else in the country. And then you go into the spring of 99, that's the first number one seed in a regional East you had ever been. So um, it goes back to that, but every program – that I worked from Vanderbilt to Ole Miss, uh, UCF, uh, LSU. We did something like this. And most people call it Omaha Challenge, but we call it Mission Week from the standpoint we want to, you know, really build on the culture and talk about what we do here and, and not put the result-oriented Omaha in there because obviously we all want to go there. I mean, look, um, but we're just building on our culture. When you – when you come up with a course, do you do like different stuff every year or, you know, who, who helps you design it? And uh, I don't know, you, you come up with new challenges for the upperclassmen each year? Well, we try to mix it up. It's, it's some of the stuff is the same. You know, they love dodgeball. That's one of the right. events. They always talk about the hard stuff, but they don't talk about the fun stuff. Uh, but dodgeball has been a staple. So that's obviously a lot of fun. Um, we either do ultimate Frisbee or ultimate football where – you know, you can't run once you catch it. You have a pivot foot like in basketball, so nobody dies out there. Um, <laughs> but they love that. Um, tug of war. Um, obviously, there's some hard stuff in there as well with sled pushes and partner carries and stuff. I mean, look, if you want to become better, you got to push yourself mentally, and that's part of it as well. And there's some early mornings in there to make them get up and really challenge themselves. And uh, this year, we'll have, you know, five leaders, and they'll, they'll have a draft tomorrow and uh, that's always fun and like you said we'll get after it on Sunday when you look at East Carolina and you went to school and played here so you know the, the culture but 
you know, you're always trying to do more with less to a degree here at ECU, and, you know, you've never been one to make excuses. <laughs> Obviously, y'all, y'all have got great resources, a great baseball culture, don't get me wrong, but, you know, to me, you got to have that mindset to fit ECU and succeed here, and you, you clearly have that, Coach. But how important is that? From your perspective, and getting the guys to buy in that you know, no excuses. Hey, we're gonna, we are gonna work harder than everybody on our schedule, everybody in the country. Well, I don't look, man. You, you know me long enough. I'm not gonna make excuses. If we lose, we lose. It's not because we lack resources. It's not because of any of that stuff. And you know, people will look at our place. Well, hey, Cliff, you got a lot of nice resources. Well, we didn't have that when I got here. We didn't have a hitting indoor when I got here. We didn't have a pitching indoor. We didn't have a video board. We didn't have turf in foul territory. Uh, we weren't able to charter flights. We weren't able to do any of that stuff. But, I mean, I watched my press conference uh, the other day walking uh, and Jeff Comfer, who hired me, and he talked about all these things that he wanted us to accomplish. And it was to host regionals, host super regionals, to win the conference regular season consistently, to have the highest GPA in the conference uh, consistently, and to go to Omaha and compete for a national championship. Well, in 10 years, we've done everything you possibly do except go to Omaha, which Look, like I said, nobody wants to go there more than I do, um, but we've done a really good job being consistent, and you know this better than anybody because you live it every day in this era of the new college athletics. It's harder to be consistent today than it's ever been, and that's what I tell our kids all the time is, you know, we're right there at the top of the mountain, and it's the steepest at that very top, and that's where we are, and we just got to keep pushing a little bit harder and fine-tuning some things, and you know, our kids want to get there too. So uh, I like this group. And, you know, the, the toughest thing for us come springtime is getting guys in specific roles and keeping guys to be selfless because it's going to be a really deep position player group especially. Um, and to keep those uh, human nature selfish characteristics to just keep them at bay and just focusing on the team. You mentioned the new era of college athletics. We kind of touched on it the pre- your previous visit months ago, but you know the whole NIL thing. It's it's bled in the college baseball. Uh, ECU baseball players have benefited from it some, um, but also, how much have you seen it? You, you know, used to coaching the SEC, it feels like that's where a ton of the money is. And do you feel like it's bled into the American at all too, from your conversations, or is it more at the, in the SEC level? Well, I would say the SEC, just like it is in most sports, right. is the one that's leading the charge, and you know, it's astronomical amounts of money. Um, but it's what I call monopoly money. It's there, so they can use it. And you know, uh, talking to uh, you know Coach Lafferty at Ole Miss, and, and I won't be specific with the number. And I mean, it's a six-figure number that some of those guys get, and it's like. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's like monopoly money. They got a pool of money they can use. It's not like that here, but we've been benefited by some really good donors. And but the thing it creates is selfishness. I mean, it just hey, there's already human nature to be selfish, and then you find out that hey, so and so is getting this amount of money. The thing I've tried to do is to help our returners every opportunity if somebody reaches out i want to help our returners because um i'm in the same mold as dabo sweeney i know he's taking a lot of heat this uh you know uh fall but i guess that the call from tyler from spartanburg should we get tyler hey, hey, from hey, spartanburg hey. on the line yeah we should get him on the line um <laughs> but uh i appreciate him and what he stands for and you know who knows he may might not be able to do it and i might not be able to do it but we're we're not going to offer recruits nil money number one it's not legal but everybody's doing it so that's the crazy thing for me and then 
for me, it's I'm going to take care of the players that have actually been in our program and done it the right way for at least a year. And many of those guys that come back, you know, for an extra year, you still got the COVID year. They're not on scholarship, maybe. So you're trying to help them out in that, in that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Justin Wilcoxon, um, one of the guys that I'm most proud about. I mean, the guy that nobody thought about. He walked on at East Carolina, and you know, in our sport, it's a lot different from the standpoint of. Right now, you can have 32 guys on scholarships and you have 40 guys on the team. So you have to recruit guys like Justin Wilcox and Joey Barini that have never received scholarship money. Um, J-Dub, we were able to get him a little bit this year because he could have signed professionally um, if he had wanted for a lower amount of money. And he wants to finish up his MBA, which is awesome. And so we were able to do that. But um, I'm just so proud of those guys. that, And that's why I got into college athletics is – to develop players and our staff does such a good job of that and we will never survive here at East Carolina if we can't do that to a certain degree and have the Justin Wilcoxons and the Joey Barinis of the world. What's the update on the the new expansion? We always get this update as well. I saw a big donation coming in yesterday with the Boykin family. Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. $100,000 to, uh, to baseball and um, that's been something you, you really push for another facility down the, uh, the third baseline and uh, do you feel like you are getting closer to that goal? I feel like we're getting closer. Uh, I don't know if, you know, what East Carolina is trying to do to raise money for multiple facilities is the most uh, uh, efficient way to do this. And it would have made somebody mad, even if it had made me mad and said, hey, look, we're going to go for this indoor practice football facility and we're going to raise that first. But, you know, a place like East Carolina, you're, you're normally asking uh, the same donors for money every time. And um, there's so many selfless people out there that are doing that. Um, we're over the halfway mark. Um, I have already finished my $100,000 donation. That's a coach guy wouldn't know one cent to East Carolina. So uh, um, that's in the bank. And I want it to happen sooner than later. And our kids deserve that with the product we put on the field. So hopefully we can start breaking down, breaking ground pretty soon. And before we take a break, I mean, you have given a lot of money back to this program at at minimum two hundred ten thousand dollars. What is that? I mean, I mean that's uh, it's, it's awesome. Firsthand it speaks to how much you really care about this program. Not a lot of coaches are going to do that, but I mean, it's just being around your program every day. It doesn't surprise me at all because because you care about this place that much. Well, I do, and I mean, it's an investment into our program. I mean, the one hundred ten thousand dollars I did a few years ago was an endowment to go to all athletics. So it wasn't even specific right. to baseball. Um, and then the last hundred has been to, to baseball. And this isn't to talk about me, but I believe in giving back to a place that's been very good to you. I mean, obviously it's my alma mater. I played here. Now I've coached here going into my 10th season. So just want to give back because our kids deserve it. He is Cliff Goblin. Let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about the fall and get into some specifics, uh, players that stood out, that sort of thing on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me every ecu fans one stop for all things ecu athletics this is hoist the colors with steven i go on 94.3 the game all right welcome back into the show we got cliff goblin in hoist the colors 94.3 the game on this tuesday always great to have coach goblin in we talked a lot about culture that sort of thing first segment coach let's get into uh the fall and and kind of some of the positions uh which we always do i'm not gonna ask you to go around the, the full diamond maybe but was there an area you felt y'all grew the most specifically, like on the field in the fall, whether it be the mound, at the plate, defensively, 
or was it just kind of across the board? I would say it's across the board, kind of like it is every fall. But I thought, uh, you know, and I'll kind of go around the field. It just mm-hmm. helps me yeah, explain everything. But, uh, you know, Justin Wilcoxon actually just had surgery last week on his hamate. So he called off all but wasn't able to uh, swing the bat. Um, Ryan McChrystal caught the best he's ever caught. Um, and we normally give out awards at the end of the fall, and he actually is getting the uh, best defensive player award because he really did a good job behind the plate. He swung the bat well, too, but that was the thing I took away from behind the plate just to increase our depth back there and not just depend on J-Dub catching every single inning. Uh, Walker Barron, the freshman, showed flashes. Um, his confidence got rattled a little bit after getting put into the Clemson game, but he'll be fine if he continues just to show up and go to work every day. Um, third base was interesting. Uh, we had some injuries on the infield, so Dixon Williams really had to play a lot of positions, and the unique thing about Dixon is he pretty much can play any position on the field except catch, which is awesome to have. I mean, he played third, he played short, he played center one weekend out of necessity, um, but Dixon had a great fall, especially the back 75% of it. Uh, he led our team in RBIs. Um, Colby Wallace, a freshman, he played third a lot, um, and we didn't pitch him as much as we probably would have liked just because he's a freshman. He's having to throw a ball across the infield all the time. But he's going to pitch some in the spring for us, and he's been working out at first base after fall practice has been over. Chaz Myers, the, the transfer from Pacific, um, really had one of our best offensive falls. Um, he was nagged by this quad injury, so he really couldn't play third base a whole lot. But Coach Palumbo is going to work with him. Um, but he has some work to do defensively to be able to stay over there. Shortstop Joey Barini was uh, outstanding. He's gotten uh, more range at shortstop and just was steady Eddie out there. Um, Star um, had a great fall from the standpoint he just showed up every day, man, and just worked hard. I'm so proud of him and the way his work ethic has been, man. He's like showed up like he's got something to prove, and it's been great and swung the bat good. Um, at uh, first base, Carter Cunningham was slowed by a broken finger uh, early on, but he swung the bat great, played first base just because Coach Palumbo had never been able to work with him at first base consistently. Cam Clotch was over there, started off slow, finished stronger um, at first base. And then in the outfield, uh, Riley got hurt, so Bristol Carter played a lot of center field and, and did a good job, especially for a freshman. Um, Nowak had a really good defensive fall. A uh, lot in left field and, um, of course, the speed and all that good stuff. And J.C. played a lot of right and um, w- was slow to start with, but we've got him back closer that he was like his freshman year in his stance and his mechanics. And um, he had a good finish to the Purple Gold World Series, which was good to see. So, um, you know, those guys. And there's other guys, some young guys that got some, some time out there, and I'm probably missing somebody. Nate Christman was – uh, hampered by hamstring for a lot of the fall and then some young guys that were you know thrown out there in different situations so uh, positionally I think like I told you it's going to be a really really competitive uh, spring yeah I mean it's, it just feels like you'll have a lot of depth and versatility coach I mean guys who can play like Dixon all over and I don't know it's is it going to be tough tougher than ever to make up a, a lineup card I mean clearly a lot of time between now and mid-February but 
it just feels like it's going to be one of those things week to week, you know, depending on who's in a good headspace playing well could, you know, rise up the depth chart, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it's uh, we do a thing as you see it with the players, you know, put together who would be in the weekend rotation right. closer and who would be um, the starting nine. And, you know, in November, it, you know, you have a good insight of what the players think, which about 95% of it is just what the coaches think. And But there, there will be a lot of things that change between now and February. When you, I was out of the Purple Gold game one and two, and uh, Jenkins Cowart, he made a diving catch with the base loaded. He also robbed Carter of a home run. He looked more comfortable in the outfield and, and – like you said, he was hitting the ball better towards the end of the, the fall. So, you know, do you think it's a you know mentality thing for him? What what is maybe switched there for JC? Well, I think he's taken a lot more ownership in his development, and I think there was a time there last year where he was scared to get hurt. You know, he had had some leg injuries, and then obviously, um, you know, fouling the ball off his growing area, man, that ain't like a, not, fun. not fun at all, and having surgery on that and. So I think there's a lot of different things that kind of went into it. And um, I think when people have expectations of him mentally, it's a lot more pressure. I mean, nobody had any expectations of him his freshman year, but then they had expectations of him sophomore year. So it's different playing under that kind of pressure. And it is what it is. You know, I tell our guys all the time, you, it, it, there's pressure to play here. I mean, you don't get all the stuff that we get and the notoriety that we get without having some pressure. So um, that's what it is. And as Coach Bianco at Ole Miss would say all the time, hey, you signed up for this. This is what you said you wanted, you know. So, um, But he's growing up, and that's the thing that uh, mentally that I've been most proud of him about. With uh, Riley Johnson, I noticed during the – he was working on his shoulder in the dugout, but still very involved during the uh, the scrimmages. Will he be back for the spring? Is he on track to be back for the spring? Yep. He started uh, swinging a bat uh, last week, and uh, he'll pick up a baseball and start throwing it here shortly. So uh, he's on track. Um, he's actually doing a lot of physical therapy over at Young's. And uh, actually, Zach Womack's actually working with him a whole lot. And um, his left shoulder is, I think, about 15% or 10% away from being the same strength of his right shoulder. So that's the goal. Once that happens, then he'll start picking up a baseball and start playing catch. You mentioned a few of the freshmen. Uh, you know, we had talked about Bristol Carter, obviously came in with high expectations, seemed to, to, to kind of live up to those to a degree in the fall. Uh, I was impressed by Colby Wallace and Walker. And look, we talked about it before, guys in the fall, they still got to carry that in the spring. But those three guys, to me, as young young players, seem to have the tools to, to help you all this season. Yeah, they definitely have the tools. you know. And I think Bristol probably stood out the most as far as having a consistent fall and you know playing against other competition at a high level. It seemed like when he got thrown into that, it was even a tick up of like, right. hey, man, I'm a gamer, and which is awesome to see as a coach. When you look at – the team's speed too with Bristol and like Dixon has I think more speed than a lot of people realize so do you, do you like kind of the team speed how that looks well you got Nowak I yeah. mean Nowak is as fast as anybody in the country Dixon can really run um, Bristol can really run I mean Nate Christman was probably you know he didn't have as many opportunities but he was perfect in stolen bases last year I mean I'll go back to the conference tournament Barini singles we put Nate Christman in in the championship game and they know he's going to run. He can still steal the base. Like, that's important. So, really uh, like our team speed for sure. And Riley Johnson, of course. And somebody said Dixon stole home in the final game yeah. of the World Series. So, yeah. how did that transpire? Well, uh, just them not paying attention. You had a freshman catcher, and uh, then you had a pitcher that wasn't really paying attention. And they were in a shift because I can't remember who's hitting, but a left handed hitter. So, the third baseman was shifted over, and Dixon 
saw that the pitcher had his head down and he slid in home and took home. So it was an awesome play. So as a coach, are you happy for that moment? Or are you like, is that is that a teachable moment? I guess both to a degree. To a degree. I mean, it's how to win awareness by Dixon. Yeah. And then for the other guys, it's, uh, hey, pay attention to the game right. because uh, you, you can't let that happen. Coach Godwin is with us. Let's get another break in. We'll come back. We'll talk some pitching as well and some other stuff on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, Cliff Godwin is with us on this Tuesday edition of Hoist the Colors. We just went around the diamond coach and uh, before I forget I do want to talk about coaching staff and you know we, we always know the great guys that have been with you so long uh, Jeff Palumbo, Blake Hardigree, uh, Heath Blackman back for another year as well and uh, Austin Knight too uh, they do an awesome job but some new additions to um, Henry Lartigue coming yep. over as hitting coach and uh, Bryant Packard back so take us through bringing those two guys into the coaching staff. First off, uh, a lot of Eastern North Carolina people probably will have a tough time pronouncing Lartigue. Yeah, that's a right? struggle for so, me. <laughs> well, I recruited him and coached him, so hey, I've had some years uh, from Ole Miss to be able to pronounce his name. Uh, no, Henry uh, was a great player. was a seventh-round draft pick out of Ole Miss, played professional baseball um, up until 2020, I think, and was actually in the bubble um, and then had a neck injury. And uh, you know, decided to retire was a part of the 2022 national championship for Ole Miss. He was the student assistant, like what Pac's doing for us, and then worked at Arkansas State last year. And we had the opportunity to bring him over here. And I'm all about bringing in good people, man. Like, yeah, he's young, and but he's got a ton of experience, and he's a good, great person. I've known him for a long time, and he's doing a great job with the hitters and our catchers. He was a catcher and also a switch hitter, so thinking having the opportunity to be able to coach both sides is played at the high level. I think that's unique. And then Pack has been, you know, better than I ever, ever anticipated from the standpoint of how much he cares about us being good. And then you've got the players that saw Pack and how good he was as a player and, you know, these guys that followed East Carolina baseball growing up and, and know, like, he's player of the year, played for Team USA, all that stuff. So, But those two guys have done an unbelievable job with their hitters this fall. For you, you you know have a background as a hitting coach. Do you try to be more hands off at this point in your career? Or are you still pretty involved with hitting hitting as well? I'm I'm giving them the I'm giving them the the reins. Uh, you know, obviously they'll come in and ask me about certain stuff. If I see stuff, I'll just talk to them about it, see if they're seeing the same stuff. Um, I do have a few years of of doing this, but um, I want them to do it. Um, and just with the way college athletics has changed, like we talked about earlier, um, I need to do it. You know, and it's good for them because they really learn how to take the ownership of it. And, uh, you know, um, and I want to give them all the credit when they have success as well. If I would have told you, what, close to 10 years <laughs> ago that the Bryant Packard you were recruiting is now helping to coach your current hitters, what would you have said? <laughs> um, I would say I hope that's what it looks right. like. I mean, that, that I think that's one of the, the best things about, you know, being in year 10. Now guys are coming back that you recruited and coached and are being a part of the program. I mean, Francisco was around for the Purple Gold World Series, and he's still trying to see if he can get picked up um, with a professional team. But if not, he wants to get into college coaching. And I was like, hey, man, come back and be a graduate manager because I want you to be a part. I mean, I just love those guys. And 
Um, they're great human beings, but they're also very knowledgeable about baseball. So anytime you can surround yourself with those guys uh, is a good thing. Cliff Godwin in studio with us on this Tuesday. Coach, we talked uh, position players. Let's talk pitching. And uh, we'll start with two of the guys who seem to have a good fall. At least I was out there for the second game. It was just Savage versus Zach Root. Pretty good pitching matchup for a fall uh, World Series, and, and both guys pitch well. I don't think you Savage gave up a hit, but he gave up two runs on some what wild pitches and walks. But uh, Root looked great, so assess the fall for those two guys. Well, they, they were a little bit behind everybody mm-hmm. else, so they, they were shut down early in the fall, and then they built up. And um, Man, it's fun to watch those two guys pitch. You go, hey, well, we've got a shot to be pretty good when, when those guys are on the mound for sure. But um, – Trey has continued to just tick up, you know, with velocity and also just sharpening his pitches with Coach Knight. Um, Root's work ethic has been tremendous compared to last year. You know, he was not one of our hardest workers, but was a tremendous talent. And now he's moved up in the ranks of, of working hard, which now his stuff is ticked up. He's put on some weight. Um, those two guys are really – are going to be the the front line of our rotation, whether Trey's pitching on Friday or Root's pitching on Friday and the other one's pitching on Saturday. It's going to be a good one-two punch. And, you know, the rest of the guys did a good job, and I think they feed off those guys. Eric Ritchie threw a lot of innings this fall and, you know, shows signs of maybe being able to start. I mean, he's in the zone with multiple pitches a lot more than he was last year. Um, uh, Norby got out there a whole lot as a freshman, which is a good thing. Um, the beginning of the fall, he was really good. The back end was not as good. But, hey, that's hey what you expect from a freshman at times. And he's uh, very conscientious. Uh, no offense to Connor, um, but I tell his parents that he's a lot more low-maintenance than Connor was as a freshman, and we appreciate that. But he's a great student and a hard worker. And Chris Kaler and Drew Bryan, two transfers, they did a good job at times and interested to see what those guys can do. And um, Danny Bill pitched some, and Danny wasn't as sharp as he has been for us, but he will be. Um, I know that. And then you had a you know multitude of different guys. I'm probably leaving somebody out. Jaden Winter pitched a little bit early in the fall, but he threw so much in the summer. Um, he probably was a little tired um, and – uh, I thought probably, you know, just wasn't his, as sharp as he could be, but he wanted to pitch some, and then we shut him down. But he'll be a big piece in the uh, in the spring. And then Shinkman and uh, Hunter, you know, really just threw in the Purple Gold World Series. But those guys' stuff has gotten a lot better, um, and we're going to depend on those guys a whole lot. Yeah, watching Shinkman, I mean, he, like you said, his stuff seems to have ticked up. He's throwing maybe a few more pitches now, but – He's almost a guy who could be a starter with with the way he throws it, but I, I assume maybe you don't want to take a guy like that out of the bullpen too, uh, looking looking ahead to the season. Well, and we'll just see how it yeah. plays out, but normally early in the season, especially going into open a weekend, um, you want to have some of those older guys in the bullpen and then just kind of see how it plays out and if there's somebody that steps up that you feel like can go into a starter role, but especially those first couple weeks just because everybody's pitch count is not up to what it will be and, you know, the later part of the season, I think that uh, those guys will probably be in the bullpen to start with. But we got to figure out a Sunday starter and who right. that's going to be, and um, there'll be a lot of competition between now and then. I was going to say, it's it's not like one of those years you're searching for a guy on Sunday. You seem to have four or five options. I mean, look at it, the Kaler, Brian, we've seen Jake Hunter start. You know, even a guy like Shinkman, uh, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody else that could start in that role. You mentioned Richie. So, I mean, that – 
that'll be one of the best competitions you would think in the in the preseason, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it'll be a good competition of who's going to pitch on Friday, and then um, the other guy will pitch on Saturday, and then. Um, also, I think it'll be a great competition of who pitches on Sunday. It's going to be very competitive. And then we got some freshmen that got talent, and uh, they showed flashes of, hey, man, they can really help us. And I think getting those guys out there in short stints and then getting them off the field um, so they can have some confidence. And Charlie Hodges actually has gotten a lot better as well, and his slider is really good. So getting him out there in short stints as well I think is going to help us just uh, with our depth and our bullpen. You mentioned uh, Ethan Norby and – there were a few times he gave some runs in the first inning, but unlike most freshmen, he didn't let that rattle him. So does that kind of speak to his mindset? Like he's still going to go out there and pitch and just, hey, it, you know, it kind of is what it is. He shrugs it off and keeps going. Yeah, I think that he doesn't – I mean, I think he just goes out there and competes. You know, I think if we can just get him in the zone a little bit more. I mean, his Achilles heel was, you know, hitting a guy or walking a guy and – um, he's got good stuff, but it's not like he's got Trey Savage or Zach Root stuff. So when you start putting free guys out there, it just against good teams, it's tough to to maneuver through that. With the pitching staff as a whole, it seems like y'all you guys have more lefties as well as opposed to maybe past years. So do you like kind of how the the breakdown shakes up as far as uh, I don't know options? Like it feels like Austin Knight and, and yourself might have a few more options as far as matchups as the games go on. Well, that's the plan, yeah. you know. That's the hope, but you know we'll see. I mean. You know, at times, though, it's kind of crazy. I mean, Jay Hunter's always been better versus lefties than he has righties. So um, it seems like that more now than I can ever remember it as far as, like, when you start pulling up a stat sheet once you get into the season that a lot of guys have reverse splits. And I'm not real sure why that is. <laughs> right. But, I mean, our goal is to get out there and get hitters out, whether it be a righty or a lefty. But we definitely have more options. So you guys scrimmaged Clemson and Virginia during the fall. Y'all did Clemson and, and Greenville at Virginia, which – are you tired of seeing Virginia yet? <laughs> well, the plan is, you know, that's the reason we play them in the fall. And we don't schedule them in the spring. But uh, the NCAA has, uh, I guess, other um, ideas. I mean, I didn't think we would go to UVA when the regional selection show came up. I thought we'd get sent to Coastal. And, uh, of course, the NCAA has other ideas. Um, which you never know with them. Never know. Never know what rule or if they're going to enforce the rule or what's going to happen. But – it is what it is, but uh, it's just a good trip, I mean, because they're always good, you know, and I want our guys to see good competition in the fall, no offense. I mean, for us to play a lower-level school and just go out there and win, I don't know if we're, we're learning a whole lot from that. And it felt like watching Clemson and then hearing reports from Virginia, you, you guys made a big leap. So do you feel like, you know, facing two potential regional host teams at least on paper like that does elevate kind of the team quicker than maybe if you were playing somebody else well i, I mean absolutely i mean especially the older guys i mean we didn't swing the bats at all worth the crap against clemson so it's like a wake-up call like hey we need to hey get this going a little bit and really it was just six days before we we played again so um i think it's always good to face great competition all right, Cliff Godwin with us. I keep getting asked about when is the schedule going to come out. So I know you guys basically have it done, but you're still it's, waiting on yeah, a few it's things. Done. Yeah. yeah, the holdup is just that we're trying to figure out where we're going to play UNC for that third game. When I say third game, uh, most likely it will be um, you know, on the Saturday probably. But we just got to figure out what pro part we're going to play it at. So uh, we're working on that behind the scenes. And once we have that, uh, we will get the schedule out to everybody. Any idea on maybe can or cannot comment on 
the options as far as where it could be. I always get asked, hey, is there going to be a game in Charlotte, Zebulon, wherever, as far as a pro park? So. Yeah, I, I hope it's not in Charlotte. So uh, just from the, the travel part <laughs> right, of it. Wouldn't it make a but, lot of sense. Uh, yeah, we're working on it, so I want to. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out, but hopefully we get it figured out by next week, uh, so we can get the schedule out. And uh, Keith Leclaire Classic, Cal State Fullerton, Coach Dietrich coming back. How I don't know is it is it weird to face a colleague, former you know, run and make like that as far as uh, on game day? It's got to be mixed emotions. Anytime you're playing, you know, people that you're close to is mixed emotions. I mean, that's why. We play Clemson in the fall and UVA in the fall because I'm close to those guys. Uh, Coach Dietrich uh, is a great human being and obviously worked here for two years and did a great job. And um, hell, they still got the house here in town. So uh, they're, uh, you know, just great people. But at the end of the day, when we play them, we're going to try to beat them. <laughs> and you guys, the series going with North Carolina, I mean, the, the staff there and you guys – working that out i mean to me it's one of the best early season college baseball series in the country so like that's got to fire you up as well it does i mean coach forbes is uh you know when he got hired he said hey man we're gonna do this as long as we're both the head coaches at our respective schools and i've always appreciated that and um i know it's a a big rivalry for our fans which it should be but at the end of the day uh you know they had to want to play us and we had to want to play them and but i think it's good for college baseball i mean especially in the state of north carolina i mean you look at the state of north carolina how good the baseball programs are across the state and you got two of the best to match up for a three-game series i mean it's awesome and you look at it with charlotte entering the league now it feels like y'all play almost every school in the state i mean maybe outside of wake forest like that's the only school has there been any talk? This is a random question. I just thought about. Has there been any talk about trying to add weight to the schedule at some point, or is that just not? Uh, well, it's right just how, how would you do it? Yeah. It's, I mean, how far is Winston Salem? Three and a half hours, probably three hours at least. So, talking about a midweek game, you know, mm-hmm. would you do it during spring break? I mean, we're not opposed to it, but it's not like hey, we got a lot of problems. That's not like right. the, the one that's top of my list. So, I know fans. Uh, they always want to. They always want somebody new on the schedule. Yeah. Coach, so. Well, hey. It's a little bit uh, harder than that. I mean, you're, you're you're scheduling out three, four years in advance uh, with people, so it's not as easy as it seems. It's a really complex uh, jigsaw puzzle. No doubt. NC State, home and home. Campbell, home and home. And, you know, the usual UNCW. So we'll see those. Any other – I don't know, nuggets you can give as far as the schedule uh, this time. I think y'all have been with Ryder. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we okay. do. So, I mean, hell, you know us. I know so, the schedule, yeah, so yeah, maybe I yeah. should just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get people to calm down. Okay, all right, Coach, last thing. Uh, biggest area you want to see this team continue to grow, uh, especially over the winter break before they come back for, for January, before we're talking to you guys for media day here in a, a couple months. I just the pitching depth, you know, mm-hmm. just getting some guys that uh, will be able to come out and serve in some roles, uh, so we don't have to go to the same guys every single game. Um, you know, we want to create that depth. So, like I said, if we can get some young guys out there early to just get us a couple outs, if nothing else, and run off the field and feel good about themselves. He is Cliff Goblin, coach. We appreciate the time as always, man. You most. Uh most visited big time <laughs> guests. So you've got that moniker on Hoist the Colors. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. He is Cliff Goblin, tenth year head baseball coach. It's still hard to believe. I can't I can't imagine. <laughs> but uh it's been ten years and we're heading into year ten. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We will wrap up the show. Philip Pilkington, our producer and I, we're gonna talk about the Denver Broncos winning last night and Jaquan <laughs> McMillan, former pirate, getting a big uh forced turnover. We'll talk about that and more on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. 
We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Alright, welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. And have the show uh, playing on 94.3 The Game at 12 noon as well in the 12 o'clock hour. And we had a great conversation with Cliff Goblin. Uh, phenomenal coach over at ECU Baseball, 10th year, and we went around the diamond, we talked pitching, we talked hitting as well, and more. We'll, we'll try and get Jeff Palumbo and Austin Knight, some of the assistants, maybe Bryant Packard, on the show uh, before the season, too, so we'll work on that, but always fun to talk Pirate Baseball. Switching gears, Philip Pilkington is producing, and look, I got to use this opportunity, this platform I have to gloat when my crappy NFL team, the Denver Broncos, actually succeed. And Philip, I have an excuse because the Denver Broncos, one of their best players is a ECU Pirate. Jaquan McMillan continues to show out. According to Pro Football Focus, Philip, the highest graded player for Denver last night, Jaquan McMillan. He just continues to make plays, forcing a fumble, covering guys up. He allowed two catches on five targets and honestly he's been a huge part of the Broncos turnaround yes and you know you mentioned that takeaway there this is what two three takeaways now for him on the season he had a pick a few weeks ago yeah back to back yeah that strip to start the game I think set the tone uh you know Denver forced what four turnovers last night and he forced the first one on the first play of the game so um that was awesome to see and uh, it might have taken the Bills having 12 guys on the PAT or on the field goal at the end of the game, but a win's a win. And uh, what were your thoughts on the both halves ending on a field goal in which you did not have a timeout to get set for said field goal? That, that, I mean, I just – I don't know. I, uh, I was so nervous. This was the most invested in an NFL game for the Broncos I have been since Super Bowl 50, Phillip, because they have been so bad for so long. And when I see they have no timeouts and they're, you know, the one before the half scared me because they thought it was a first down originally, the offense did, and then the offense ran off the field and the kicker ran on. They drilled it. But I don't like having a game winning kick come, come down to that situation because to me, you're so rushed. And maybe in a way you think maybe you're not thinking if you're the kicker, but he did miss it. Somehow Sean Payton maybe had some some foresight to see that the Bills would have 12 guys on the field and they would get another shot at it. But I was nervous the whole time because they always say one of the toughest places to kick in the NFL is Buffalo due to the swirling winds. And Will Lutz is not honestly that great of a kicker to begin with. You throw in those factors, you throw in the fact you have to rush the field goal unit onto the field. It made for great drama. I probably had at least three heart attacks. I'm not going to lie. Like As I laid down to go to sleep last night, my chest, I, I was having like palpitations. I, I guess it's been too long since, I, <laughs> since I've watched a game that invested as a fan. Uh, but it felt good to come out on the right, the, right, uh, the right side of it for once. You know, you mentioned toughest place to kick. That's also the end zone that goes towards the river. So that is even tougher than the other way to kick. I personally, on third down, wanted them to just spike the ball or throw it away. I would have been content, like, look, trust your defense. If they've got 15 seconds, they've got 15 seconds. I did not like running the kicker out there with yeah. 26 seconds left, the, the clock ticking, or whatever the hell it was. The other thing I didn't like was they kept taking a knee. 
and they were going backwards. And I know they were only losing like a yard or two at the time, but they had the ball at like the 19 or 20. And by the time they were kicking it, you know, Russell Wilson just kept falling backwards, which I understand they were trying to kill the clock. But why not at least like do a sneak or something and just make sure you're holding on to the ball for dear life? Because to me, Lutz barely missed that kick. Maybe if he's kicking it from four yards closer, he makes it. Thankfully, they got a second shot at it. But I have nightmares already for my teams taking knees when they're trying to win a football game. All right. I don't need to go back to 2014 and explain what happened there against UCF. But, uh, I, hey, man, it it was uh, it, it was great theater. It was cinema at its finest. I mean, you all the things that happened in that game, the Buffalo Bills running back, Cook, fumbling the ball and then it bouncing right back to him, and then he ran for like 60 yards. That about drove me up while them dropping the – Denver dropping the initial extra point when they appeared to score the go-ahead touchdown. I was like, we're definitely losing this game by a point so uh it it didn't make or it made for for good theater uh, i know you're you're kind of like a broncos fan philip because you got family with ties to colorado but like since you're not i guess a hundred percent hundred percent invested like a true you know you're a panthers guy yeah. was it fun to, to watch from that perspective it was well not really because <laughs> i do still care and the fact that the panthers are so crappy my one chance to have a team I care about make the playoffs is Denver, and my roommate's a Broncos fan. So the okay. house was very tense, at the same intensity that was going on in your house or that was going on at my house where my dad lives or any of my uncles or whatever. So, um, no, I had my Eric Decker jersey on, and we were jumping up and down and screaming. <laughs> Eric Decker. The, the people below us probably were a little ticked off because we were celebrating pretty hard when that, uh, when that second kick went through. Yeah, I, I I got a call. Of course, my household was fully asleep by that time, except for me. I got a call from my brother. Uh, just he was like, "What the heck happened?" Because uh, he had only seen the end of the game, and that was a, it was a valid question because it was just absolute chaos. I still think this thing is scripted half the time when I watch the <laughs> NFL. But I was like trying to talk as quietly as possible to not wake anybody up. And my wife texted me, said, "Please shut up." Um, uh, you know, because I didn't want to wake the kids up either. But yeah. it's just, uh, hey, man, I got to soak it in. It's been a rough few years. Denver has not made the playoffs since winning Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, which feels like a long time ago. Uh, so I got to soak it in. By the way, have you seen the AFC playoff picture? I saw somebody tweet about it. It is just an absolute mosh pit. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night before I went to bed. Everything that could have made the AFC playoff picture wackier this past week happened, with the exception of the Chargers didn't win. Because when Houston beat whoever the heck they upset. Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That put them in. It hurt Cincinnati. You guys did the same thing by beating the uh, the Bills last night. And then when you look at the way the Cleveland-Baltimore game played out, that brought Baltimore back kind of with everybody where they were clearly ahead of everyone else, and it brought Cleveland from a wild-card contender to a divisional contender as well. So it's nuts. And then you look at the NFC, and there's like seven teams, and the other nine teams suck. Fourteen of the 16 teams are within a game of the playoffs in the AFC. I mean, that is insane. The Broncos, Jets, Chargers, all four and five. The Titans and Patriots are really the only two teams out of it. Titans three and six, Patriots two and eight. Hard to believe the Patriots are there. The Broncos they play the Vikings Sunday night this week, and then they play back-to-back games against the Texans and Browns, who are ahead of them by game. So it should be an interesting few weeks. We'll have NFL picks later this week with Philip and uh, Joe Sampson. 
We'll have Bobby Harward on the show tomorrow on Wednesday at 12 noon talking about the Pirates win over FAU and more. Appreciate Cliff Godwin again. We will be back on Wednesday at 12 noon. See you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.